Here come the Astros, burning with desire. Here come the Astros, breathing orange fire. Welcome to Houston Sports Talk with your host, Robert Land. Oh, listen to that go-go Astros puts me back in the mood for those old 80s teams. It was the official fight song from 1980 to 1987. And for those who don't know, local musician Mac Hayes wrote the song along with the Houston Oilers fight song. So there's here's your cool factoid for this show. Since I've gotten you in the mood for the 80s Astros, I thought it'd be fun to look back at my conversations with Kevin Bass and Enos Cabell. Let's start off with Bass, who I caught up with at the 30th reunion of the 86 team out at Minute Maid Park. I'm going to just get you started off with something good. Give me a Charlie Kerfeld story. Charlie Kerfeld story. Well, he used to call himself Big Country. I, I remember seeing Charlie the very first time I think it was right after he was drafted. And you know how they have the uh, number one picks come down and stuff. So I see him coming down. I think we were down underneath the tunnel. And I'm saying, and I'm looking at this kid, you know, he's got this little baby face, but this huge, huge body. He's about 6'4", six, 6'5". Six, Long story short, found out he was a number one pick. And what, I don't know, two, three years later, we were teammates. But uh, that's my Charlie Kerfeld story. Nothing funny, but just remember that was the first time I got a chance to see him. You guys were kind of middle of the road that 86 season and, mm-hmm. until the All-Star break. I remember coming out of the All-Star break, I go to the game, Nolan pitches the first game, and he gets shelled by the Mets, but then you win the next three games in that series, and that's where you guys sort of took off, right? Yeah, it, it was from the beginning we weren't picked to do anything. From spring training on, the projections wasn't, wasn't much. We had a new manager. We were relatively basically a young team. We had some pretty good veterans around us. But, yeah, we just caught fire. Everybody really liked each other. That's one thing I can remember about our team. On any given night, I think on a, you know, on the road or whatever, you'd see seven, eight, nine, ten of us out together eating, which I think really was one of the main reasons why I think everything gelled for us that year. You know, we had a great sense of camaraderie on our ball club. And, uh, yeah, we just started playing good. I remember a bunch of times late in the games, tie ball games, particularly here, we were just killer in our own ballpark. Yeah, it, it, it was just nothing fancy. Our pitching staff was just tremendous. And we just caught fire. We caught fire and just stayed on fire and took it all the way. I mean, the last two games, two or three games of the season, or before we clinched the series, was pretty much a telltale how we, uh, our season was going. I mean, what, two-hitter, one-hitter, and no-hitter. So, uh, yeah, it was, it was a very, very exciting year. Yeah, Nolan struck out, or Nolan almost had a no-hitter, and yeah. then Deshaies struck out the first eight guys of the game. Would have been nine except uh, Lasorda, I yeah, think, pitch it. Yeah. And, and then Nolan throws, or then Mike throws the no-hitter. Yeah. What do you remember about that game? What I remember about all three is making sure I'm not the guy that flubs their, uh, <laughs> their no-hitter, their chance at no-hitter. Particularly every time I felt that way when, I, when Nolan was out there pitching. You know, you really was just always on your P's and Q's to try to make that play and make sure that they, uh, their no-hitter stayed intact. I don't think I've ever seen and never was ever again a part of such domination as far as pitching. Uh, those three nights against the Dodgers and those t- uh, two nights against the Giants, it was it was phenomenal. I mean, just sitting there watching these guys just carve up these teams, these big league hitters, it was just it was it was masterful. Some of the guys say that if you win that game six against the Mets, you guys felt like 
you could win the World Series. You were going to win the oh, next yeah. game with Scotty on the mound, oh, yeah. and then you were going to beat the Met, oh, beat yeah. the Mets. Oh yeah, oh yeah, no, without a oh, doubt. I think I think the Mets even knew that uh, because yeah, you know, if you can remember going back over some of the films, them guys, man, they were mystified by Mike's Mike's pitching. So many of the hitters, Mike was in their heads, and definitely, and we were as a team, we were wanting to get to have Mike Scott on the mound that last game, that that game seven, I think it was. But, uh, you know, we fell short. But, man, that was a feeling for everybody in that clubhouse. We knew that the Mets were at a disadvantage mentally and psychologically against uh, against Mike Scott. So uh, it was just amazing just how much energy and just how much psychological play went into that series. Do you ever remember a game that the guy that wasn't playing, Mike Scott, was the most important guy, the yeah, exactly. one that scared more people than anybody I, else in I that haven't. game? I haven't. I haven't. And that's what I said. I mean, you know, I played a bunch of years after that and never experienced anything like that before. What about getting a chance in your career to play with Nolan Ryan? What was that like? I, I tell you, it was awesome. I got a chance to play with him for seven years. And I can tell you a story. The very first time, uh, I think it was 1982, I came over in the trade. I wasn't playing when I, I, you know, those years or when I first got over here. But I was so excited to be able to see Nolan Ryan pitch. So I got a chance. I was on the front step, top step just watching this man go at it, right? And I just remember thinking then, this was 82, thinking, how does he ever give up a hit? How? How does he ever get a hit? I mean, you know, the ball would just come out of his hand with such velocity, such, I mean, it looked like the ball was going to be in the dirt and it'd be waist high to a hitter. And I'm thinking to myself, how, how could he ever get, ever not pitch a no-hitter? Did you ever face him? I finally faced him. And, yeah, I understood what, what everybody was talking about. I got a chance to face him when he was at the Rangers. And he was 40, 41, 42 years old even then. And it was an exhibition game, and we were playing at the old Oklahoma AAA Stadium. But he was tremendous, amazing, just amazing. And, and what was so amazing about it to me was his curveball and his fastball came from the same area. You know, you're anticipating this fastball, and he throws you this curveball, and the ball looks like it's going to be 10 feet over your head, and then it drops down the strike zone. And then the other thing that I didn't anticipate was how well he hides the baseball in his windup. That high leg kick was for a purpose that he'd have. You, it, it's very tough to see the ball on top of the guys throwing 97, 98 mile an hour. So, yeah, it was, it was everything what everybody mentioned and talked about. Dwight and Doc, they just had the 30 for 30 yeah. on those guys. And talked a lot about the stuff that they were doing off the field you guys weren't known as that kind of team no, no, what no. did you what do you remember about those guys and, and them coming in and did you did could you see anything that was going on outside of the clubhouse with those guys well you heard all the stories you heard you know the nightclub and you heard you know those guys were off supporting their local strip clubs and all that other good stuff but us i i think at that point in time in the Houston Astros history you know, they always made it a habit of really trying to draft and have gentlemen. Have, and not to say that the Mets weren't gentlemen, but to have good guys. Have guys, you know, that really um, knew how to care of themselves in a, in a manner that was not going to detract away from the organization. And that was one thing the Houston Astros always, always made a habit of doing. Those, the years that I was there, and, and those are the type of guys, those are the, the quality of people that we always had. What was your best moment as an Astro? What was your favorite? I love the All-Star game. It was awesome that the All-Star game was here, and it was awesome that I was able to be a part of it. I was just so thankful and uh, so appreciative of uh, 
not only making the All-Star team, but being able to have it here in the hometown. So that was just a great moment for me. I should ask you because everybody's going to want to know, what's Kevin Bass doing these days? Me? Man, playing a lot of golf. I, I got a little real estate company that I do uh, and just stay busy. You know, I'm a grandpa now, you know. Uh, I got one son about to get married. So, yeah, yeah, it's, you know, just living life. The grandkids get to hear some of Kevin Bass' famous impressions? Uh, well, no, they're not old enough for all that stuff yet. They just, I'm just pawpaw, you know. Does anybody know Sammy Davis Jr.? Can anybody do Sammy know. Davis Jr.? Anymore? They don't know Sammy. <laughs> hey, thanks so much for doing this. Hey, thanks My for taking pleasure. the time. Great to see you. You too. Thanks. All right. Absolutely love talking to Bass. I used to cover his sons, Garrett and Justin, who both played high school baseball here in Houston locally. Uh, You'd see Kevin out there watching his kids. Both of them got drafted by MLB teams, but neither, unfortunately, made it to the big leagues. Uh, Fun fact about Kevin, his cousin is NFL Hall of Fame receiver James Lofton. So that's pretty neat. Now let's uh, move to my conversation with Enos Cabell from a couple of years ago. We look back at the 1980 playoffs, playing with J.R. Richard and that amazing pitching staff. Here's my chat with the Astros Hall of Famer and now special assistant to Jeff Luno. When you came over here, I think it was 1974, you were traded to the Astros for Lee May, and there was a guy by the name of Cesar Cedeno, and people are talking about how talented Carlos Correa is, multifaceted guy. Is there anything about the talent, type of talent that he has that you can compare to Cesar and, and what he had back in that time? Well, they're, they're really two different types of players, both players are 5-2 players. They can run, throw, hit, hit for power, and they they know baseball frontwards and backwards. The difference is the positions. Uh, both of them are dominant positions, Cesar being a uh, center fielder and Carlos being a shortstop, but that's where the similarly stopped. Uh, C was probably a better base dealer than Carlos, but Carlos is probably going to be one of the best players of all time. Uh, if he doesn't have injuries or anything like that, he's just He's just, he's Alex Rodriguez, but a, maybe a great person. Remind people about Cesar and how talented he is, because I know a lot of Astros fans might not remember him. He was a guy that a lot of people at the time were comparing to the five-tool of a, a Willie Mays and, and that kind of guy at that time. Yeah, well, Cece was probably one of the best players I've ever played with. And I played with Joe Morgan. I played against Willie Mays. CC could have been one of those guys. It's just things went on in his career where it stopped him. But uh, talent-wise, I mean, he could run, he could throw, he could steal bases. He's still second base standing up. They don't do that anymore. <laughs> and he knew the game of baseball. Uh, probably one of the greatest players I've ever seen or played with. What do you remember about those 1980 playoffs and going up against guys like Pete Rose and Mike Schmidt, a couple of Hall of Fame caliber guys? Uh, what was it like to play play in that series? Because many Astro fans that remember that know that that was one of the great series in baseball history. Well, we thought we had the best team. Uh, if people remember that we didn't have Jr. for that series either, uh, because Jr. had the stroke, and also Sedano broke his ankle, I think, in the third game. Uh, so we really our two best players. We didn't have playing, and we still thought we should have beat them. And we thought if we'd have won, we were still going. We were going to win the World Series. So. We had a really good team, and then after that, the team kind of faltered for a while, and then it came back. Uh, but when Bijou and Bagwell got here, it just went straight back. So, you know, it was very trying for one thing, because when I came in 74, 75, we weren't very good, and we got our tails whipped. But then we got good, 
and we stayed that way for a long time. Hopefully, this team can do that. I talked to JR just a few months ago, and he just came out with his new book. What was it like to watch him pitch and be there, you know, first row seat to watch JR Richard on the mound during that time? Well, nobody could beat him. Uh, he would probably be in the Hall of Fame if he wouldn't have had the stroke. And, I mean, he would, he'd be another one of our players. Uh, but uh, he was just six foot nine and big and mean. And, I mean, he had pitches that nobody has these days. I mean, he had a 93, 94-mile-hour slider, and it, it, was, it had two different breaks to it, one hard and one like a curveball. And then he had a, almost a 100-mile-an-hour fastball, and he's 6'9". It wasn't pretty. <laughs> <laughs> what do you remember about that day in, in 80? You guys get him, and he signs that big contract. What do you remember about Nolan coming and, and the thought with, with we got Nolan Ryan now to add to this pitching staff. It was a big thing because it really solidified our pitching staff because we had people don't, if they remember Joe, Joe Necro, Joe Necro was put in the middle of that order so you would face Nolan Ryan one day throwing 100 miles, then Necro throwing a knuckleball and then JR throwing 100 miles an hour. I mean it wasn't pretty. Guys were coming in and striking out 10, 12 times and that's the way it was. I mean we we had probably one of the most dominant pitching staffs ever, and it just didn't last. What was it like as a, as a fielder? You're kind of, the timing has almost got to be different where you have Nolan pitching one night and you got Necro another, and then you got JR coming back another night, and you're, you're kind of set and waiting for the pitch. What's it, is, it, is it something that you think about as a fielder of, I have to wait a little bit longer on this one? Well, you had to concentrate because we didn't score a lot of runs. <laughs> I mean, so it was one to nothing, two to one, three to two. So we didn't score a lot of runs at that time. So you really couldn't make a mistake because you knew they were going to pitch great games. So you had to be on your toes all the time. And usually when Nolan was pitching a JR, I never received any ground balls because nobody was pulling the ball at third base. So I only received balls when Necro was pitching because he was throwing that knuckleball. But, uh, you know, they were great pitchers. I mean, we had a good time. This team is going to be pretty good. But we, I don't know if we're ever going to have a pitching staff like we had back in the 80s. Who were the guys that you faced in the majors that uh, you really loved going up against? What pitchers did you have a lot of fun getting into the batter's box against? Or at least you knew it was going to be a, a real battle? Well, Carlton. Steve Carlton, he was he was just nasty. Him, Don Sutton, I mean, he he would cut the ball up. I mean, he'd cut the ball so much. Back then, you could do that. Gaylord Perry, they'd cut the ball, and the scenes would come off. You can't do that anymore. <laughs> but uh, we had some great games. I mean, we had a lot of games where it was one to nothing. Or, you know, I played in probably five or six no-hitters against, against the team I was playing or with them. So those were exciting times. What was a guy or two that you really had success against of, of, of the really top-line pictures? Was there a guy that you sort of owned that you were, people would be surprised about that? Well, not really. I mean, I, I hit pretty well against most of them, but Paul Moscow, he used to pitch for Cincinnati. Every time he threw a pitch, I hit it off the wall. I mean, it was, it was unbelievable. But, you know, it was great, great battles. Uh, we played in Astrodome, so it wasn't going to be a lot of runs scored then. I would have loved to play the Minimate. I probably could have hit about 50 more home runs a year in this park. But the National Dome, you know, you had to run, field, and, and pitch. What was it like to finally see a guy that had spent his whole career in Houston as an Astro get into the Hall of Fame when Craig Biggio got in last yeah. July? It was great. I cried. I mean, it was. we've had a lot of good players, and it's just where we are in the middle of the country. They don't get enough recon, re, recognition. 
And Bees has always been a great player. Uh, and he never got a lot of publicity. Uh, Bagwell is coming, and it should have happened before. I mean, Bagwell is one of the best players in a 10-year period in, in his time. And so we've got some more. I mean, if Bagsy gets in, then hopefully we'll get some more knowledge about it, some of the other players we have. Do you ever have dreams about the Astros winning the World Series, wake up in the middle of the night and say? Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Well, I thought we were going to win in 80. I really did. I still see pitches and stuff coming at me and stuff that I probably could have hit. But, <laughs> but uh, I mean, we're going to be okay. I mean, it's, it comes in, you know, all those years that Dirk was the manager and we continued all those years, you would have thought we would have won a World Series before at that time. That was Enos Cabell, and of course, we spoke before the Astros won the World Series, so hopefully now Enos is having dreams back to the 2017 championship. I hope you enjoyed a look back at the 80s Astros and all the memories. Don't forget to follow Houston Sports Talk on Twitter and Facebook. Subscribe to us on iTunes, the Google Podcast app, or the Stitcher app. You can look back at our library of interviews on our website, Houston Sports Talk. Thanks for listening, everybody. 